0: Hey there, it's Anne-Marie from the My Wall Street Analyst team. For those of you celebrating, I hope you had a happy Thanksgiving. Due to Turkey Day, the market was closed Thursday and part of the day Friday, giving investors and analysts a welcome reprieve. On top of this, the My Wall Street team was busy this week with a Stock Club live show in our home city of Dublin. If you couldn't join us, don't fret. The gang will be hitting the road again next year. In light of all the hustle and bustle, this week's Stock Club will be a repost of an interview with Yana Haynes, the Chief Strategy Officer over at ARK Invest. This interview first appeared on an episode of FML, My Wall Street's other podcast dedicated to first-time investors. Yana discusses her unlikely journey to Wall Street, upcoming investing trends, and ESG investing. Stock Club will be back next week with a regular episode that I'm sure will shock and delight. Thanks for tuning in. <laughs> Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: So let's get straight into the interview because me and Anne-Marie have a bunch of questions for you. And the first one is, can you give us a brief kind of walkthrough for your career thus far?
2: Sure. Um, Hi, Nicole. Hi, Anne-Marie. Yes, so um, my career um, has been quite... uh, Quite interesting and definitely not a straight line. Um, I grew up in Czechoslovakia uh, during the years of uh, the Soviet era and, uh, and communist economies. And um, after I left Czechoslovakia, uh, went straight to the United States, um, borrowed money um, for an airline ticket, um, I was fully intending to go to medical school. Um, I had two problems. One, I didn't speak English, and two, I had no money so i had to figure out how to fix both before i could become a doctor so um i enrolled in some english classes which really were extremely boring and didn't didn't go anywhere and uh i got um the second thing i got an internship at an options trading firm and uh discovered um this big beautiful world of finance that i never knew about and uh I have to say my English language skills improved dramatically in the first two months um, with all my colleague traders um, and and uh, people who were yelling and screaming around me all the time. It was during the time of open outcry. And uh, I have to say that after two months, I could tell you how to uh, pronounce various option spreads, but I could not still go to the grocery store and uh, name all the fruits in the basket. But You know, fast forward, um, I would say I am incredibly grateful for the opportunity to work for three very iconic CEOs. Um, One was Joe Ritchie, who founded and started CRT. CRT was my first employer. I started, as I said, as an intern, became a partner in uh, about three years and ended up running one of the largest um, equity index options trading desks at the time on, on Wall Street. Um, those were great, fun days, but some of the lessons that I learned at CRT um, about how to evaluate people, how to take risks, um, how to kind of move through your day uh, with full dedication and integrity, um, those lessons literally stayed with me throughout my career. And I'm I'm just immensely grateful for the opportunity that I got there because I literally, um, as I said, I didn't speak English and I knew absolutely nothing about finance. So that was, that was a hugely important break um, in my career. The, the second um, iconic CEO that I worked for was Henry Fernandez at MSCI. Um, MSCI is an incredibly well-run and well-managed company. And I spent 14 years there. And um, I truly went through many different roles. Um, it was a career change for me because after spending almost 14 years um, trading and managing money and managing portfolios, um, I switched over. In my first uh, few years at MSCI, I spent in a uh, institutional sales role. And uh, when, uh, when MSCI was uh, hiring me, um, one of the very senior people who interviewed me said, so have you ever sold anything? <laughs> and my answer was, well, no, but how hard can it be? <laughs> so, so um, that was uh, that was another one where I felt like um, I got an opportunity where people took a chance on me delivering, and uh, um, you know, it was it was a important step for me to understand kind of the client and service provider relationship. Uh, in addition to the fact that you know, MSCI has scaled the business over over the time period when I was there. And that was, uh, in and by itself, you know, far more valuable than uh, than uh, an MBA, because you kind of see the best practices of managing a large company in in action. Uh, And and the people and my colleagues Mm -hmm. there, um, I just learned every day um, something new. So that's that's really what was important for me. And uh, the third iconic CEO that I'm working for right now is Kathy Wood who probably does not need an introduction. And um, what attracted me to Arc was that um, they truly are evangelists of various um, innovative technologies and technology platforms that are in very early stages in many, many cases, and truly have the opportunity to change the world. The world has many problems and technology does solve problems. And um, hopefully, you know, I can make a a small difference in in uh, that effort. So in a nutshell, um, you know, that's sort of my path. If there is one overarching theme um, across the whole period, it's that um, I very much believe that risk is a good thing, that you know the various changes in in my career happened because I was willing to take both the risk and the responsibility. I mean, there were parts of my career that were not all that glamorous and all that fun, but you learn a lot from that, and and the risk taking and uh, the the willingness to change and take responsibility and give it your best. Uh, you know, those are the things that um, that uh, make
0: a lot of difference. Wow. So- very, impre- very impressive, two years into my own career. Can't can't exactly match that yet. But um, <laughs> something I actually want to ask you about, which is kind of a selfish question, really. So I was uh, born and raised in the US, but I now work in Ireland. And something I've noticed is there's a pretty um, distinct difference between investing cultures kind of within the United States and then within Europe, I think, Within an American context, there's just a much larger understanding of what investing is and how it's essentially an essential part of retirement. So as someone who has worked and lived in both the United States and Europe, I was wondering, do you see a marked difference in investing culture between the two or maybe even just a difference in the public's attitude towards investing?
2: Absolutely. I think you're right Um, there. There are several differences, and I would say maybe put it in two categories. One category is cultural. Their cultural differences in how people invest, how people think about um, investing—not just for retirement. Uh, there are differences there. They're structural, uh, but also investing kind of for their own savings and and for their own well-being. Uh, the second category I would say is access. It's market structure and market access, and uh, and I think that um, both are changing, which is a good thing. Um, you know, I would say uh, if you zoom out, the United States was built on uh, on capital uh, being invested, right, from very early days on, and that culture, that culture of investing, that culture of kind of finding the next thing and putting your own money uh, to work. Um, even if you look at the startup scene, if you look at venture capital, which is really where it starts, right, that leads to public markets, mm-hmm. uh, it is a um, very vibrant and probably the largest um, private market in the world um, where a lot of the innovation happens right there from the early, early stages. So, so I think the culture of investing generally um, is very different um, in the U.S. Um, it is... Um, it is also sort of um, generationally agnostic, right? You have the baby boomers who have been investing for a very long time, and you have the Gen Z, Gen X, the millennials. Um, I don't know how many alphabet numbers we have now <laughs> for the next generations, but but right, investing is something that you kind of get introduced very early on. I would argue that um, you know some of it is. Uh, Um, probably not as sophisticated as it could be if we had a little bit more financial literacy education. And, you know, it certainly depends on kind of how early you get introduced in your life to investing. But the culture of investing is in the U.S., uh, very, very much alive and present. Um, In Europe, and, you know, Europe is not really a cohesive, right? It's not one thing, right? You've got the U.K., um, you know, all the different, you know, Switzerland, Germany, Austria, France, the Nordics, right? The, the South of Europe, very, very different markets, very different market structures, very different population makeup. I would say um, on balance um, investing is not as prevalent uh, perhaps for a number of reasons. One is, um, well, one is the, the kind of cultural, uh, reliance on defined benefit pensions, right? People in Europe, the 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 um, various countries have had longstanding pension schemes where uh, individual um, you know population does not have to worry about their retirement, mm-hmm. and I think that in and it by itself drives a little bit of a um, inertia where people don't feel like they have to provide for their own retirement. Therefore, you know if there if there is any um, extra savings, you know, they just put in the bank and um, and kind of or invest in real estate, which is very very common, very broad based. Mm-hmm. So the the holding of individual shares is not that that uh, common, and the cultural push is not there. I read statistics um, in one of the um, major publications that basically compared. Um, U.S. individual stock ownership, which is around 50 percent. And that's beyond pension plans. Right. If you include pension plans, it's probably higher. But but individual owners of direct invested stocks um, or individual owners that own stocks directly. It's about 50 percent, half the population and it's rising. Um, I think in the U.K., um, which is what I saw the statistics for, it's less than half of that, even though it's rising. And so. So then, that leads to um, the question of access, right? Mm-hmm. So um, in the U.S., again, kind of going back to innovation, going back to um, you know some of the uh, breakthroughs in market structure, um, the um, direct investing apps have been around and and well, you know, for quite some time now, probably a decade, right? So it's the the Robin Hoods, and I don't want to call out one single company, mm-hmm. but You know, it started with robo advisors and then came the, um, you know, no fee trading platforms. And now literally every major investment house has a no fee, um, no fee trading app where, you know, it literally doesn't cost anything if you want to go and, you know, buy a handful of stocks. So so I think that was um, very democratizing um, when it comes to individual investors. I think Europe is a little bit behind in terms of this sort of free access to the market and if you combine that with the cultural um, sort of lack of push for direct investing um, it's probably going to take a little while but i do think that the trends are changing and the younger generations they're coming up across the developed countries Um, you know they see what's happening they're very technology savvy and um, you know hopefully hopefully we'll get there
0: yeah, of course. Well, you brought up the idea of retail investment, of, of Robinhood. That's something that we've seen rise pretty considerably in the last couple of years, but particularly in the wake of the kind of GameStop fiasco, the meme stocks. And so I was kind of interested in what is your thoughts on the rise of the retail investor. It's, it's great because it means that more and more people are, are um, entering investing, but it oftentimes seems like they're entering investing in maybe the riskiest uh, type of investing that one could do. We see them doing option trading and buying on margin on things like Robinhood, people who've maybe We've only been investing for a couple months, um, and so do you see like retail investment and, and the rise of apps like Robinhood as being maybe a net positive for investing, or or is it maybe a net negative for now and will pay off later on down the line?
2: So I'm a big believer of free markets. I'm a big believer that individuals should be able to make decisions on their own, provided they're um, you know technically capable um, to to you know see what kind of risk they want to take. I will also tell you, and I have, um, I, my husband, I have five boys and they're aged 25 to 30. So I often, you know, say this to, to my children, uh, it is much better. If you, if your net worth is $2,000, make a lot of mistakes and blow it. Um, it's much better to do that than if your net worth is significantly higher. You're in your mid forties, you have a family and, uh, and then you, you know, do something really stupid because um, you, you just have not educated yourself. So, so with that as a as a backdrop, I would say, um, on balance, it's an extremely good thing that the markets are opening and the access is um, free to many early investors. Now, I do think that um, it is very important that um, you know the message about educating investors, educating themselves. Uh, comes through loud and clear, um, you know. Oftentimes, um, I really believe, and I say this um, to anyone who asks, you know, it's time. It's not timing when you invest. Investing is not trading, and and uh, you know, it is very, um, it is very appealing at the moment. After you've had four margaritas, and your buddy is telling you that you know they made a killing on Bitcoin to kind of get home, it's a 24-7 market and just buy because you know it's a sure, sure bet. right? If you, if you really want to do it that way, then dedicate the time, educate yourself. If you want to trade, trade. The beautiful thing that has happened over the last several years or even a decade, and I think that's also driving the entrance of individual investors to the market more broadly, Is that in the past? So, when I started trading, when I started investing, you know, three, four decades ago, um, there was a massive asymmetry of information um, that was heavily tilted towards institutions. So, if you were a bank, if you were a professional firm that focused on investing and trading, you had All the information about the market about the the liquidity you know any any metric that you want at your fingertips Uh, if you were an individual investor you had to call a broker you were at a retail desk you you were getting spreads that were sometimes 10 times wider than the institutional investor you were in a completely different category uh, that asymmetry of information has really changed with the rise of um, you know just just um, you know internet and all the apps and the distribution of the of the information being basically real time. Uh, you know you can get um, institutional quality tools today um, for very little money. You know spend hundred two hundred dollars a month and and you have all those tools. And I think that that actually enables a lot of education. So, so the bottom line is that if investors really want to do um, what you said, you know, trade, you know, make bets, you know, they can approach it as a casino, they can approach it as an educated um, bet, or they can approach it as a job. Uh, And there are a lot of people who, um, you know, make money in the casino, and there are a lot of people who lose money in the casino. But there are different ways to approach it. But I think the access and the entrant of the individual investor is definitely positive for the market. The other thing that I want to say is that oftentimes now, because the information is so broadly available about a wide range of investments, um, the individual investors recognize investment trends um, significantly faster than the Institutions because they don't have the layers and layers of decision making and evaluation. They kind of say, "All right, here's the technology. I see it in my daily life. It makes sense. It truly changes how I do things. I'm going to look at an investment opportunity that allows me to benefit from that." And I think we've seen some of that. Now, I don't know. Yeah, I don't want to comment on GameStop and. You know, a lot of it gets politicized, but but I think fundamentally the open access is a good thing. Mm -hmm.
1: Great. So on to another kind of mega movement in the invest in world, I'd love to know some of your opinions on cryptocurrency, which you kind of briefly touched on and NFT invest in.
2: Yes. So um, very early days, very early days. I know it makes all the headlines but the technology itself is very early days. Um, I believe that um, there is tremendous amount of education necessary um, for people to truly grasp um, what blockchain, what public blockchains are actually um, driving. Um, We have ARC publishes um, on an annual basis, our big ideas. It's, uh, It's kind of the big research paper um, that has um, kind of our views and uh, and insights on the most important trends that we see across the five technology platforms that we research for the next year and for the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. And um, so, if if anyone wants to look at it, right, you can uh, you can download it. We give our research away for free. Uh, but um, our, our analysts say that the public blockchains are driving, um, you know, three major revolutions. One is the um, money revolution, right, with Bitcoin um, and the various currencies. Um, one is the um, financial revolution, which is the decentralized finance, uh, that's going to have tremendous impact on, on banking and payment systems. And the third one is the Internet revolution or, you know, some call it Web3. We don't necessarily you know, like the name, mm-hmm. uh, but it's basically NFTs. And, uh, you know, NFTs, I am not an expert on NFTs. I kind of look at the, um, you know, there was an article in The Wall Street Journal or somewhere uh, the last couple of days that the, um, the, the board Ape NFT sold for $300,000. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, OK, great. Um, So that's the casino approach. I have no idea, right, what that Mm -hmm. what that should be worth. But fundamentally, the use case for NFTs is incredibly powerful. The use case for NFTs means that artists and and other creators can actually um, have a long term um, set of rights um, that if they create something that's valuable, it's memorialized on the blockchain forever, and they can actually, you know, there will be no more starving artists, right, if they're Mm -hmm. successful, Uh, because um, once a piece of art gets sold, you know, they continue benefiting from that because um, they know they created it. Now, it's tough to tell um, where this is gonna go. I think, you know, my comment that we're still in very early days of the technologies is that we don't even begin to understand how the convergence of some of these things with other technologies will create additional use cases right mm-hmm. and so so I'm I'm a believer that these technologies will have tremendous impact and provide huge value um, you know it is uh, it is just um, tough to tell kind of what exactly that means uh, mm-hmm. but it's certainly a very very exciting
1: space yeah yeah definitely such an interesting space that I think we're all watching closely but
0: They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zeppound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss.
1: Yeah, now I'd like to talk about the fact that there's more women than ever entering the stock market, which is a great thing. And female investing has kind of become a hot theme at the moment. Um, you know, with the rise of well-funded female led startups looking to um, make investing more accessible to more women. Um, but do you think investing is not already gender neutral or are there nuances that require a woman only approach?
2: It's a tricky question. It's a really tricky question because um, I I, whenever I get this sort of you know woman led um, question, I try to step back and say, you know, let's just say you have an elderly grandmother, um, and and you're giving her advice on who should manage her money, manage her estate, so that she's well and safe. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you tell her that you know she should have a female advisor, mm-hmm. or do you tell her she should have a good advisor? Yeah, That's going to listen to her, understand her goals, and make sure they're good stewards and good fiduciaries of mm-hmm. of her wealth. Um, I think most people will say the latter, um, just intuitively, right? Uh, having said that, um, you know, it is very clear, and I have lived my entire career uh, in an industry that, you know, I- I'm still... Um, often the only female in the room of 20 people. Uh, I have largely ignored it most of my career uh, just because um, I also think what people don't see is that um, the attrition and the breaking in is equally hard for men as it is for women. When, When you look at the number of people who want to get into the financial industry, whether it's through, you know, the investment banks and the, you know, classes of analysts that, you know, on an annual basis get hired from from top schools, uh, right? The attrition is probably 90%. When I go back to the early days of CRT, when I started out, CRT was known for kind of home growing talent. Uh, We had one of the best training programs in the industry at the time for floor traders, for options traders. And... This is how far how far back this went. Um, there were no computers when we started out, right? So, so a lot of the options models were on hard copies. You know, we we ran uh, an updated model four times a day, and someone had to physically grab the hard copies, mm-hmm. run them downstairs, run them downstairs to the floor traders. Anyway, very different world, right? Today it doesn't exist because it's all digitalized, all online, real time. But we had a great training program and um the vast majority of people who signed up for the training program to be the floor traders were were guys 90 percent of them did not graduate did not make it so it wasn't a male female the the attrition's the the industry attracts the best and brightest and and you know it's extremely competitive so that's not a male female thing Where I do think um, there are many opportunities to bring a little bit more balance um, to the equation is much earlier. It's during the early years of school, during the educational process where, you know, we give girls the confidence, the education that, you know, they can do math. They can do science. um, They can kick ass. They can uh, um, do whatever the guys are doing. They may do it differently. They may do it the same way. You know, it doesn't matter, but they 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 can do it. Um, full disclosure: um, we have a five-year-old granddaughter, mm-hmm. and uh, you know she's growing up wanting to be an astronaut or an engineer, mm-hmm. um, but she's also into pink and glitter. So,
0: you know, there's a balance. Yeah, definitely. Um, well, maybe kind of going back then to. I guess I suppose the actual like everyone else investing would be, um, maybe what are some of the emerging sectors or trends in innovation that are currently exciting you and in your kind of long term horizon?
2: I think um, the the crypto space is definitely one um, that will have very profound impact on how we live, how we um, operate, how we bank. Um I think um, it's also the automation of everything. Um, you know, the fact that um, I can now um, turn on the lights in my house, half the country away, uh, it's pretty cool. So it's things like that where, you know, the automation and, uh, and uh, robotization um, will, will actually um, deliver tremendous uh, kind of life altering um, changes to, to how we go about our daily business. Um, you know, um, I don't know if uh, it's going to be in my lifetime, but genomics and gene editing and uh, the impact on healthcare, the fact that we could potentially um, have means to cure diseases, um, could be tremendously impactful uh, to the world world's populations. Um, developing drugs faster, cheaper, um, can have Incredible impact on especially developing countries, where um, delivery of medicine and uh, cost of medicine are huge issues. So those would be kind of like um, the the you know three that are very near and dear to my heart. I'm sure there are many others. Again, um, you know I'm I'm not as uh, as equipped as uh, many of our uh, wonderful analysts are to talk about the specifics, but. The um, the um, you know crypto and the healthcare are two that I think will actually impact everyone's daily life in the next decades.
1: Yeah, yeah I agree. Two very exciting spaces to watch. Yeah. Um, so, what advice would you give to a young person who was maybe at the beginning of their investing journey? Like, what would be kind of the greatest tip or lesson that you've learned?
2: I would say um, one: educate yourself. Educate yourself. Educate yourself. Um, you know, the 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 time versus timing um, yeah. mm-hmm. factor is is huge. It is much more important that you start investing in your twenties than uh, than you know getting the best stock tip when you're in your thirties. Mm-hmm. Um, I also think it brings a, a sort of discipline to your financial life. Uh, right. If you if you educate yourself um, and and the reason I'm saying that is it, it helps create options for you later, later down the road. When I think about, you know, when I started out investing, there was literally no one that was giving me financial advice. Um, I went from like zero to 60 from not knowing anything about the capital markets to trading options um, in Chicago, um, you know, in this in, in the space of two months. Uh, while I was learning the language, what it means of the things that I was trading, that's not a great way to do that, right? And so today there is so much uh, material available. So I would say educate yourself, and then the second thing is um, I would say definitely learn to take risks. One of the greatest things that happened to me was, you know, through the through trading of options is is a thorough understanding of risk risk is not a bad thing. Risk is simply, you know, there is upside, there is downside. And how do you actually evaluate based on what your objectives are and based on kind of where you are in the spectrum? There are risky investments that are phenomenally great for young people if if the allocation to those trades or to those investments rather, are in the right proportion to the rest of their net worth the same investment for you know, an older person may absolutely not be the right investment. And I think understanding that, understanding your risk tolerance, and don't be afraid of risk when you're young, uh, and and try to, um, again, not blow with the wind and and get uh, advice from your trainer at the gym. Uh, <laughs> you might be a world-class investor, but unless you know that, right, be a little mm-hmm. bit more methodical about what you do and how you do it. And you know, I, I do sound like a broken record, but I would say the education piece uh, is yeah. probably critical. Find find um, find people that you like to follow. Find people that you trust, and stay with it and be consistent.
0: Yeah. Definitely. Um, kind of on that young person investment trend, um, something that we get asked a lot at my at my Wall Street is about ESG investing. It seems to be something that young investors are very interested in. We're kind of seeing an increased demand for greater transparency in the financial sector. And it's that sense, I think, that investors want to own companies that they feel good about owning. Um, and I'm wondering if do you see ESG investing or maybe socially responsible investing would be a way to call it as being a long-term trend? And do you think it's a worthwhile endeavor or or maybe merely a marketing ploy to kind of pull in these more hesitant investors?
2: Yeah. So that's another trick question Mm -hmm. Uh, because uh, because I, and, and I'm not, um, so, um, let's just um, unpack it a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, ESG investing does not really have a great definition. It's, it means different things to different people. And, and I think um, I agree with you that investors generally, and I would say perhaps not just young investors, but investors across the board are demanding greater transparency. Mm-hmm. Transparency trumps just about everything. And, and I think companies, public companies in particular are beginning to realize that. Uh, transparency around governance, transparency around um, uh, environmental issues, transparency about how they're treating employees. So, so transparency as a as a category is incredibly important, and I think will continue growing in importance. Um, when it comes to specific uh, environmental, social, or governance metrics. Um, I think the jury is out. Um, There is absolutely no question that because of the proliferation of information today, when something bad happens, you know, environmentally, so China, um, chemical factory um, lets out a whole bunch of toxic um, waste into a river, or there is a mining accident in Brazil. Or there is, you know, some um, radioactive leak in Russia, right? Like these things spread like wildfire and they have profound impact on companies who either caused it or contributed to, to those, um, to those accidents. And I think broadly speaking, investors are having are less and less tolerant of, of these things, right? In the name of profits, because, um, it's just wrong, right? Like it's it's kind of a very simply the right way and a wrong way to to manage a company. And if the company is that um, that loose about um, stewarding um, the capital that they've been given and running the business in such a way that it's harming the people that work for the company, harming the environment, you know, I think the investor tolerance um, is has decreased dramatically and will continue to decrease. And those companies and those stocks will be penalized and punished. Mm-hmm. When it comes to governance, I think governance has long time been something that, you know, especially active managers um, have watched as one of the key elements of, of um, whether they do or do not invest in a company, right? So, so governance is really not new. And there are a number of well-known issues around governments, whether it's the dual shares, um, for you know companies that have come out of the venture venture capital and went public, I mean right there are a number of number of um, governance issues that are broadly um, discussed in the market. So governance is very important. Uh, the social is very difficult to measure. There is really no good data. there, is, uh, there are attempts to measure that data. I think that on the surface, um, it's kind of a good effort, but the data is very poor and you cannot really um, make investment decisions on that. It goes back to, you know, are you investing in a, you know, index based product where, you know, the ESG scores are driven by a by a mathematical model? Um, you know, I, I, I think that's kind of where my comment comes like the jury is out. The, the effort is is, um, you know, well grounded in desire of people to invest in good companies. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure the, the application is, is quite there. The, the point case is, you know, the, the unfortunate war between um, Russia and Ukraine, right? Um, after the invasion, all of a sudden in Europe, a lot of the European um, regulators started contemplating whether um, manufacturers of arms and and various uh, right, cluster bombs and things of that sort, mm-hmm. which everyone agrees are bad, right, for society. Um, whether they should be excluded for, from ESG portfolios or not, so so like there are some some crazy things on the margins where I think uh, the industry and uh, regulators as well uh, really need to take a hard look whether or not the the regulations that we're putting on investors, both institutional and individual, whether they make sense or or whether they don't. So mm-hmm. so it's, it's a bit of a complex answer, but the problem is really complex. And then, you know, if you look at um, um, climate change, right, I think, you know, climate change is something we observe. Uh, we don't necessarily, I, I think some of the proposed solutions are just outright um, not not feasible, not workable. And the attempts to put a mathematical model around that and claim that that's a solution, um, you know, I struggle with that. I struggle with understanding that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that kind of builds off my second question, which was like, do you think it's possible to truly quantify and measure a company company's social responsibility? But it sounds like, particularly for the, with the social element, it it seems very very difficult. Which leaves it maybe up to being exaggerated um, in order to appeal to more investors.
2: Yeah, and I think also right, it it um, you in order to measure it, you have to have good data, right? Because if yeah. you don't have good data, you can't. The measure is is meaningless. And good data means that the vast majority of companies not only adopt it, but they have a uniform way of uh, disclosing that data. If you think of the global jurisdictions that have public equity markets, uh, you know, it's not going to happen in our lifetime. There might be pockets where regulators will drive uniformity, but is it really for the best um, benefit of investors? It's tough to tell, right? We'll have to see.
0: Yeah,
1: definitely. Well, thank you, Jana. That was very insightful. I've definitely learned a lot. <laughs> um, but yeah, before we let you go, I have to ask, what would be your favorite thing about working at ARK Best? I know you touched on innovation, but is there anything else that makes it a great place to work? People. People. <laughs> Hands
2: down. Hands down, people. I have fun every day I come to work. Um, I learn something every day I come to work. And uh, you know that's just um, that's just priceless.
0: Yeah, that is kind of all you can ask for, really. Yep, Perfect.
2: that's that's the fun part. I'm having I'm really having fun every day.
1: That's great. Well, thank you, Yana. Thank thanks you, you very meeting. much.
0: Thanks for having me. That's it for today's show. Remember, if you have any questions you'd like answered or elevator pitches you'd like us to tackle, make sure to get in touch. You can find us on Twitter. That's at MyWallStreetHQ. On TikTok, that's at MyWallStreet. Or simply just email us at pod at MyWallStreet.com. Thanks for joining us today, and we'll talk to you again next week.